I remember older people saying, when I was a little kid, I'd no more want to do that than fly to the moon. And I'd think, who wouldn't want to fly to the moon? Well, it turns out I'm not the only one who would jump at the chance to strap myself to a rocket. People are lining up, paying seven-figure sums to be one of the first space tourists. Technology has changed so fast. What seemed to be unthinkable when my parents were kids is now taken for granted. It kind of makes you wonder, what's next? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, it's great you could join us this week for Signs of the Times Radio. I have with me here in the studio assistant editor of Signs of the Times magazine, Daniel Kuberic. How are you, Daniel? Oh, I'm great, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I'm really well, boy. I, I think you just peaked out the uh, <laughs> the audio there with your enthusiasm. It's good to good to have you with us. Yeah, sorry for everyone at home whose ears have just been absolutely exploded by that. <laughs> no, that, that's all cool, man. Hey, now Dan, you've you've written a really interesting article in this month's Signs of the Times, the November edition. It's called Hypersonic Travel and the End Times, which is a Sort of a, well, some people might see it as a bit of a crazy juxtaposition, you know, to put those two ideas together, but it is a a fascinating article. And you actually start by talking about an encounter that you had, or perhaps almost had, with Elon Musk in your beloved hometown of Adelaide. (laughs) Tell us about that. Yeah, so I didn't even know who Elon Musk was (laughs) prior to 2017. It's so weird, right? Like he's such a big personality in the world. He's one of those people that we sort of view as a visionary, mm-hmm. a big thinker, a person who gets things done, makes things happen. And yet I had no idea who he was. Well, you, you obviously haven't been watching enough Marvel movies because the, the character of Iron Man, I believe, is based on Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. That's It's so weird. So the, the first time I really heard about him was after I'd finished my journalism degree, which was in 2016. 2017, I had a lot of time. So I was sitting at home and there was this news that a big announcement was going to happen. Adelaide was going to build a massive battery to back up its power grid because Adelaide had been suffering from a whole bunch of blackouts. It was That's becoming right. a, yeah. It was becoming a laughing stock around the world. It was making news in... Well, you know, it was making news pretty much everywhere. I heard from Europe that they'd even been told that Adelaide is, you know, this place where it's dark all the time, pretty much. (laughs) So Iron Man to the rescue, eh? Yeah. So then we started hearing around about the time of that announcement that, in fact, it would be Elon Musk of Tesla Mm. that would be coming in and building this battery to back up the power grid. Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't hear or I didn't know who Elon Musk was at that point. But I did watch the press conference live and it was so interesting. It was this it was this man who was sort of like, when he presents in public, he seems almost sort of awkward or nervous. Oh, really? And yet here he was with these huge ideas, huge solutions to problems. Yeah. And I was just fascinated. This man is just, he comes across as, you know, the everyday Joe and mm. yet he is a big thinker. 
Wow. So, okay. So that's it, f- it, it kind of reminds me of what they used to say about Steve Jobs. Um, they said he had um, a reality distortion field around him that basically when he opened his mouth and began to speak, people around him started to believe that what seemed impossible before was now possible. And then it actually became possible simply because he said it was possible. <laughs> Do you get the, the same sense from Elon Musk that he, he thinks big and things just become possible? Yeah, well, exactly. The, the, whole, the whole thing with the battery all started because this guy called Mike Cannon Brooks tweeted out to Elon Musk and sort of challenged him on Twitter and asked him, you know, can you make this thing happen for South Australia? And he's like, yep, we'll do it in hundred days. And that's, <laughs> that's sort of the, the whole main crux of the contract that he had. He sort of kept to his promise and eventually, you know, it happened. That was, that was where it all started on Twitter. And then the mm. South Australian government got involved. It's, it's quite crazy to think that uh, he's capable of something like this. This is the man who invented PayPal. He's sort of started out, his mm. main crux of his wealth started out from being in IT and making websites and this sort of thing. And now yep. he's working with making rockets and sending rockets into space and dreaming about landing on Mars. For me, that is quite perplexing. I don't understand how you know one man can be capable of so much knowledge. I'm sure he has very knowledgeable men around him mm, and women and women of course so <laughs> you know it's it's fair to assume that he's got a, an awesome team but he is a visionary for sure so when he came back so that was the first time i sort of came across him and then i started doing a lot of research into him after he committed to making that battery was sort of following what was going on with that yeah people were talking about him quite a bit and then obviously later on in the year i was interning with channel nine Now, Mm -hmm. during that week on the Friday, he was going to land in Adelaide and present at the International Astronautical Conference. Okay. So, you know, that whole week I was telling all the journos, they were like, oh, do you want to come with us to this story where this and this and this? I'm like, no, 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 no. Friday, I want to go see Elon Musk. And I was talking to the the main uh, political reporter at Channel 9 and he was like, yeah, 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 we'll try and get you in. Mm-hmm. But then it didn't end up happening because only one pass was adla- allocated to Channel 9. Oh, no. So, yeah, I couldn't go. But but during this press conference, he talked about the space, he, he's talked about rockets and uh, and all this sort of stuff, you know, s- saying that it would be possible to travel, you know, from one side of the world to the other in under an hour, um, you know, New York to Shanghai in, in 39 minutes. I mean, Wow, how, how did that strike you, those sort of ideas? Well, again, it, it doesn't make any sense to me because how can it be possible that we are already talking that far ahead mm. and at the moment we're still flying commercial airliners and yet here is a man who is suggesting that we're going to all jump into rockets and land on the other side of the world in like, you know, the amount of time that it would take to make or eat a sandwich. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> Does it take you an hour to eat a sandwich? Well, it, my sandwiches are really big, so <laughs> it, it might, or you just want to savor the taste of it. I okay. don't know, but so do, has that sort of sparked your your interest and, and your curiosity about you know hypersonic travel and rocket travel? And I mean, have you sort of looked into it anymore? Well, it all these concepts seem really far fetched, to be quite honest. When when Elon Musk talks about Mars and he talks about us moving to Mars because of World War Three, mm. the reasonable part of you thinks no way. There is no way that we have any reason to move into Mars at this point in time, mm-hmm. and yet you know that's the sort of discussion that's being floated around quite a bit. Yeah, I think a lot of my interest in in this sort of stuff comes from my interest in travel technology. Yeah, you say. I sort of grew up with Formula One and mm. my my parents moved to Adelaide in 1995, which was 
just before the last Formula One Grand Prix was happening there and my dad oh, went. yes, Melbourne, you stole Adelaide's Grand yeah. Prix and Adelaide has still not forgiven you. <laughs> it's funny because I don't, I don't really have any reason to hold any grudges because I was just born at that point. I, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I was born. No, I think I was like a week or two old when, when the Grand Prix happened for the last time in Adelaide. But anyway, so I sort of grew up with all these myths and, and sort of things that my dad told me about the Grand Prix. He's like, oh man, it's so fast. You're just looking at the track and then, and they like fly past and you, you don't even see the car. You don't know what it looks like. You just see this thing just fly past you at like, you know, mm, over blur, 300 kilometers yeah. an hour. And it's so loud. He mm. said, it's like so high pitched that you have to wear earplugs. And if you don't, it'll burst your ears. And as a kid, I sort of, <laughs> I just, I was just like, how is it possible that there's cars that are this fast? And we sort of, mm. as I was growing up, we, we used to record Formula One Grand Prix and watch them back on VCR because mm-hmm. obviously they were on really late. Yep. Especially my dad, my brother and I, we used to follow Michael Schumacher a lot. So I, I followed Formula One quite a bit. And obviously, Formula One is very technical. These cars are built mm. like jet airplanes with all the aerodynamics and stuff. So they they literally look at jet planes as a source of inspiration as far as downforce and all, the, sort wow. of, all of these sort of okay. aerodynamic forces yep. go. Well, but 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 essentially they're just like big go karts, aren't they? Really, I mean the the people who go to Formula One start with you know, like Formula Three, Formula Two, which are basically smaller go karts and work their way up. Yeah, exactly. And there's even Formula E now, which is the um like the electric uh, car races, which is pretty cool, I think. Yeah, and the first season that was on, I was actually watching every single race because I think it's very interesting that the world is heading in a direction with, which is electronic, which ties back to the Elon Musk thing because mm. he's obviously a big pioneer of electric technology. Mm. That's not to say that he invented electric technology because it was, I remember even in the early 2000s or sort of mid to early 2000s when these sort of hybrid cars started coming around and you could hear them drive past and it'd be like this just high pitched like thing. <laughs> so it, it wasn't by any chance his idea, but... Yeah, but, but that Tesla Roadster, I mean, that just completely you know, blew people away with how cool an electric car could be, how incredibly fast it could go and the range that it could have. I think it's it's been a real game changer. I mean, we got to give, you know, Elon Musk a, a fair bit of credit, I think, for really, really changing perceptions when it comes to electric vehicles because everyone else is paying catch up now. Yeah, exactly. As far as other travel technologies go, what really struck me recently, especially when I was writing this article and was a main source of inspiration for this article, was the Boeing hypersonic aircraft concept, okay. which pretty much says they want to build a hypersonic aircraft that will be flying commercially and it'll be flying for much cheaper than the Concorde. Now, oh, to right. give some background on what hypersonic and supersonic and all this sort of stuff is. Yeah, so, please, uh, do, let's define our terms. So, I know what supersonic is. Supersonic is anything that's faster than the speed of sound my first experiences going to car races. My dad, we used to go to the Clipsal 500. Mm-hmm. I remember when there used to be jet planes that used to do flyovers and they'd do this massive kaboom and this like puff of sort of like vapor would form around the, the jet plane as it started going faster than the speed of sound. Oh, wow. Okay. Actually breaking the sound barrier right there. Yeah. So what, what used to happen was, you know, back from the 70s onwards until 2003 when it was decommissioned, there used to be the Concorde aircraft, which mm. is... What was yeah. it New York to Paris or London or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it was super yeah. fast. I remember that when I was a kid. That was really cool. The, the other cool ones, the SR-71, the, the Blackbird, that was a military aircraft. That was the fastest, I think, for, for a fair while. Mm. With the with the Concorde, though, it was it was to carry 
a people. It was a commercial airliner, but mm. it was only for the rich people because it's so expensive to fly a supersonic aircraft around. Mm. So pretty much, yeah, it was it was very limited and ended up, everyone thinks that it was the, there was a crash where people died. That was the sort of the nail in the coffin for that whole supersonic aircraft program. Mm. But in, fa- in actual fact, it was that combined with the fact that the Concorde program was bleeding a lot of money. Mm. You know, they they were catering towards the the people of luxury, people who had money to fly on these planes. And it wasn't for the everyday Joe like me who mm. can barely afford to fly Jetstar anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so, not, so, not dissing Jetstar or anything, they're actually yeah, pretty cool. So, so hypersonic, what, what's hypersonic so, as opposed to supersonic? So hypersonic is even faster than supersonic. Supersonic, with these aircrafts, they, they measure how fast they go in terms of max. Mm. So M-A-C-H. Ma- Mach 1 or Mark 1 is the speed of sound. Yeah. yeah. So Mark 2 is what, twice the speed of sound and, and so on. Yeah, so yep. the, the Concorde flew at Mark 2. Okay. What the hypersonic aircraft Boeing is suggesting is going to be flying at Mach 5. And that's... So that's even faster than that's the just Concorde banana. even. That's just bananas. Wow. And for that to be affordable as well for the everyday judge, which is what they sort of imagine mm, it to mm. be, is also another thing that's quite crazy to me. I can't imagine it. The, the Concorde had a lot of problems. It was a plane that, for example, after it took off, it'd have to go faster than the speed of sound and therefore break the sound barrier at some point. Mm. When that happens, like I mentioned earlier, when we went to the Clipsal and the jet plane goes faster than the speed of sound, it makes a huge boom mm, as the, well as yeah, the paper. The sonic boom, they call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the airplane, the Concorde, had to do that somewhere. So that it'd sometimes do it over the ocean. Obviously, if it did it over land, then everyone's windows start rattling. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a huge problem. And in, you know, in the 1970s, the U- US government, sort of the Congress became sick of it. So they banned these planes from doing their sonic booms over US territory. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So since then, that ban has been in place up until recent, actu- recently, actually, mm-hmm. uh, Donald Trump lifted the ban. So now if you know a company chooses to create a hypersonic aircraft and fly it over US airspace, then that's going to be possible. And there's actually quite a few companies that are developing this sort of technology to be able to make supersonic air travel possible again. Mm-hmm. One of those mm-hmm. is NASA. They're actually going to be, in the next couple of years, they're going to be developing a plane called the X-59 Quest, okay. which they hope will they will fly over major US cities in 2023, which will be quiet so that it won't sonic boom over US airspace. So that'll be really interesting. Oh, okay. That's another so they're working on some technology to actually get to supersonic speeds without without having that boom. Yeah, exactly. So oh, okay. that's obviously uh, another interesting development. Well, okay. Look, I can see, Daniel, that you could talk about the various technological developments all, all day, but I, I know that we really need to get to the other uh, half of your article, which was pretty fascinating. I mean, you called it, you know, hypersonic travel and the end times. And I mean, I guess we've sort of been hinting at it a little that Elon Musk obviously fears that, you know, the world may, you know, as we know, it may come to an end. We'll all need to move to Mars. So he, he's not the only one who seems to be sort of connecting the two in, in some ways. But you you talked about the end times, which is a, a biblical idea, I guess. What What's the connection between, you know, hypersonic travel and the end times? Why, why put those two things? things together? Well, there's one verse in the Bible that I think particularly points at the fact that we are heading into a place where technological advancement is going to be skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> Pun intended. Uh, yeah. 
So that's Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, when he mm. said, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Okay. So, and and in, in a sort of an older translation in the King James Version, it, it says, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased, which is, a, I guess, a, a, maybe a little more explicit. I mean, I'm not sure which is the more accurate translation, but are you connecting those verses with what we see happening around us now? Well, it's quite easy to do that because Daniel in particular, and as well as Matthew chapter 24, these mm. these sort of chapters in the Bible, they talk about the time of the end. Mm. And when you sort of connect them back to what's going around the world today, you can see that there's quite an apparent obvious connection there. Like it was only, you know, just over a hundred years ago that we were, that air flight was just a concept. And yeah, now, well, it's just beginning of the 1900s, I think, in the first decade of the 1900s, the Wright brothers took took their flight. And I know, I remember talking to my great-grandfather, you know, who I was a kid when he was still alive, and he talked about riding a, a horse to school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Things have changed a lot in a fairly short time. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. And then, you know, even 10 years ago, would you imagine a future where we're going fully electric? That is, again, one of those things that is just pushing the boundary like we never thought that we'd have cars that would be fully electric and you know that that seems to be the way that things are going just like with you know even our racing series like formula e like you mentioned where Mm. it's going fully electric and that's gaining a lot of interest people have a lot of interest in this sort of future Mm-hmm. And and I guess in terms of knowledge increasing too, I mean, there was a time, you know, before the development of the printing press that, you know, if a knowledgeable person could pretty much read all the books that existed in, in their language and be an educated person. These days, I mean, there's so much new um, knowledge and not just people, you know, blogging about their opinions on the internet, but actual academic journals and actual scientific research just coming out all the time in so many different fields. It would be actually impossible to to keep up with it. Yeah, exactly. I watched a movie with my mum recently for mm. my birthday called First Man, which was about how oh, Neil Armstrong, Neil Armstrong ended yeah, up on yeah. the moon. Now, that is an incredible movie. For mm. me, That was it's been the best movie of the year. Okay, well, I'll take that as a recommendation. I'll have to check Absolutely. it out. I, I highly recommend it. it one, of the, one of the interesting things is to think that all the computers there that helped Neil Armstrong get to the moon, we have more computing power in our pockets now on our smartphones than mm. all that technology that got him there. Wow. Isn't that crazy? It is. <laughs> that, that is incredible. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I strongly take that Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 as an indicator that this, mm. this is the way that things are headed. And mm. when, when we look around the world, when we look at how fast cars are going now, when we look how fast airplanes are going now, where we look at, you know, when there's talk of humans ending up on Mars Certainly, I don't think we were going to get there. I think that that is too far-fetched. Yeah. But whether or not we should get there is another question. Mm, okay. So, that's interesting because that, that verse in Daniel describes, it, it, say, it uses the phrase, the time of the end, and then it gives some descriptors as to that time of the end, you know, saying that knowledge will increase, which is something we see happening right now, has been happening for, probably the knowledge has been increasing for a few centuries now, and men will run to and fro, which we, you know, this hypersonic travel thing you're talking about, people, we are, we're traveling so much, people are everywhere, you know, people are moving all over the country or all over the world. We certainly are running to and fro in a, in a actual physical sense and probably a psychological sense too. We don't know if we're Arthur or Martha half the time. So these are descriptors of the time of the end. It, it does seem to fit quite well, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. 
But there are verses that also substantiate other things that will be happening in the world mm-hmm. in regards to the end of the time. And mm-hmm. they also sort of, I guess, in a roundabout way, they refer to us how far travel technology will have advanced. Mm-hmm. Like Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Mm. Now, when you can you can imagine that without travel technology, that would probably not be possible. Because and communications technology too. Exactly. So there's, there's multiple facets to that verse that when we look at the world these days where we are now able to travel to far-fetched countries and talk to people that we weren't able to talk to before mm. and share the gospel, that's also a part of the knowledge increasing. Okay. So, so Matthew 24, 14 is saying the, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. And I, I guess what you're saying is that previously it was quite hard to reach the whole world, but, but now due to these technologies, it's actually doable. It's, it's possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a, an interesting way to, um, to, to read that verse. So w- when you think about the the end of the world, the end of time, the end of days, you know, this sort of stuff. I mean, do you think people see this as a sort of a crazy religious idea, Daniel, or or is it something that people will resonate with? I think back to when I was studying journalism and I used to go, obviously I've, I've grown up in the church, so I am, you know, sort of aware of how, how we perceive the Bible, how we interpret Mm -hmm. the Bible and how we believe that our time on earth is finite, that Jesus will be coming again. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because a lot of my journalism lectures, I'd I'd go into the lectures and it'd be talking about murders, rapes, stabbings, Mm. how it's just getting worse and worse. You know, we used to have lectures on suicide, how suicide is going skyrocketing suicide rates. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. All these sort of things that define the world we live in right now. And I look at it and it reminds me of the sort of sermons that I've heard where pastors have talked about how bad the world is going to be in the time before the end. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but feel that that is exactly the time we're living in right now. And when you look at it, Kent, you're a man with experience. You've been on this planet longer than I have. Can you honestly <laughs> say that the trend is is getting worse or better? Look, I think in terms of violent crime in, in Western countries, it's actually getting better. But I think you're right about suicide and, and depression. Those things are becoming ec- epidemics. Then also, I think we see things like global warming you know, climate change. I mean, this is the sort of thing people are talking about very much with sort of doomsday sort of tones in their voice. And and then when we see, you know, North Korea having issues and you think, oh boy, you know, nuclear war actually is still a possibility. I mean, in the 80s, people talked about it a lot, 70s and 80s, they were really worried about it. And, you know, New Zealand declared itself nuclear free and you know, all this sort of stuff. But it's still a possibility that someone could go rogue w- with a nuclear weapon. And then, look, there are just all sorts of unexpected things, you know, a meteor. I mean, who knows? You know, there, there are so many different ways that the world could end and various different people are talking about it from various different perspectives. But I think a lot of people do accept that, it, yeah, it, it is a possibility. It, it could happen. And it's interesting to, to notice that the, I guess the Bible suggests, well, yeah, this world isn't going to last forever. There, there will be an, an end. I don't know. Is it scary? Do you find that scary or, or just fascinating or, or what? I think one verse that we see in Matthew 24 in particular is that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Mm-hmm. So when, when you look at the world these days, it's hard to feel safe in a lot of places. It's hard to feel safe going outside where 
a person could stab you or a person could commit a terrorist attack. Mm. Or, or, or even staying inside, it's not safe, you know, these days with, you know, cyberbullying and, you know, people looking at you through your webcams and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, I think that our naivety is dying off. People these days understand the risks involved with life and how, you know, your fellow man could just snap and do you harm. Mm, well, this sort of stuff is is definitely scary. As far as the future goes, I know that it might seem scary that the Bible predicts that things are going to be getting worse to a certain extent mm-hmm. and then Jesus will come. But at the same time, it's about what happens after that that really matters. That's the core of our belief is that we're actually preaching the message of what happens after that, which was Mm. eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And the thing that will get us there is not knowing how bad the world is going to reach before we get there, Mm. but rather what do we need to do to get there, which is have a relationship with Jesus. And as far as God's control over these events, we know that God predicted these things he is keeping his eye over it that the because of sin bad things are happening around the world and will continue to happen but god has a plan for each and every one of us i think that's something very important to consider every time we read anything about the end times to not be scared because of that Mm-hmm. And I guess just purely from a practical point of view, I mean, if you have a smoke alarm in your house, for example, I mean, it's that smoke alarm's job to go off when there's smoke in in the room, you know, and you can say to the smoke alarm, oh, goodness me, you're such a downer. You're like, you're so negative. But the fact is that, you know, it's the job of that smoke alarm to save your life, you know, to to get you to like either deal with the fire if it's small enough or just, you know, get the heck out, out of your house so that you, you don't burn to death. And I guess, you know, perhaps we'll, if the world is heading in, in a bad direction, I mean, we sh- we should be giving warnings. I mean, certainly the client, climate scientists are, are giving us warnings. And if, um, you know, there are other aspects of, of our behavior that are leading us towards our, our own destruction and whether it's our, our diet or our lifestyle or whatever, we're being warned. And we can say, oh, this is so negative. But really, we need to hear it, you know, because we need to know it if we're going to do something about it. So I guess I I do struggle a little bit when I hear people say, oh, goodness me, you're so doom and gloom. Well, you know, actually, maybe we need to hear the warning. Yeah, exactly. And a core foundation of of, of what the Bible presents is actually not doom and gloom, though it may be interpreted that way when you read Matthew 24 and you read Revelation Mm. and you see these sort of prophecies and you know, about the time of the end, Mm. it may be easy to think it's going to get really bad. Maybe I should just ignore everything what the Bible is reading and live an ignorant bliss life. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, a lot of what Jesus teaches and a lot of what the Bible teaches is actually not about despair. It's about hope. Mm -hmm. That's one of the common Mm -hmm. themes of the Bible. Wow. You you actually quote a couple of verses at, towards the end of your article that I think are really filled with hope and really filled with comfort. Well, one of them's from Isaiah 41.10. It says, God speaking, and he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a, a real message of, of comfort, isn't it? And, and of hope. I, I learned in primary school, these, these guys once came to our primary school with a giant rock climbing wall and before we jumped on that and did the rock climbing wall, because a lot of a lot of us chickened out and we're like, oh, I don't know <laughs> if I should do it. It's scary. It's tall. Yep. One of the guys was like, you know what fear is? And he just wrote it as an acronym. He's like, it's false evidence appearing real. Whoa. And I think that <laughs> that really relates to a lot of our fears. A lot of our fears are taking something and then extrapolating it and coming up with a whole different conclusion. Mm. You can't sit and be scared about the future and scared about what's going to happen, what might not happen 
until it happens. And mm. the thing about the Bible is that it gives us all these warning signs so that we're aware, mm. so that we're educated and we have mm. the knowledge. You know, these prophecies prepared. are- mm. Exactly, be prepared. These prophecies are coming to light and we're starting to understand them for that very reason, not to be scared, but rather to understand what God has in store for us. But at the same time, we've also got mm. God himself. He makes it clear in the Bible that he- has got us under his control. He's got it. We don't have to worry about it. And one of the verses that particularly highlights that, and I mm. mentioned in the article is, so Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that is beautiful. That's a, an, inc- an incredible encouragement there. And it's been incredibly encouraging having you too on the um, on the show today. Thanks so much, Daniel, for, for your insights and, and your enthusiasm. I hope that next time you actually get to uh, shake Elon Musk by the hand and uh, look him in the eye. <laughs> Maybe we should send him an invite on Twitter to join us on Science of the Times Radio because he seems to be a guy who likes to accept a bit of a challenge. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Hey, thanks for your time this week, Daniel. Really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. Cheers, guys. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.